0: Do something to wrestle with it. i to wrestle with it. Bruh, that's pretty. Who's Pritchard? Well, you know. That's not a rib. She put it. It. Let it rip. No, you yeah, have There's no box of gimmicks. <laughs> rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. And was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared <laughs> of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. Q Bruce. Ah, look. you. take me. the cheese. double cheeseburger. You take the grain. Double cheese. Well, you know. And then
1: double mayo. You know, it's called chicken Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are
0: you? I'm oh, just a box of fluffy ducks, by God. How in the hell are you though? What does that mean? Box of fluffy ducks? Well, think about it. You know, you see a duck, like a little tiny fluffy duck, you know, like when they're little chicks. Yeah. Okay. And they chirp around. They don't have a care in the world. They're all happy and chirp, 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 chirp. And they're all like. Now imagine how good they must feel, right? So take that to the next level. Have an entire motherfucking box of fluffy ducks. Mm. And you can't get feeling better than that.
1: So I'm feeling like a box of fluffy ducks, man. Well, I'm pretty excited about today's show, but I don't know what's exactly. Box of Fluffy Ducks. We're here today to talk about New Year's Revolution 2005. Believe it or not, yesterday was the 15-year anniversary of the show. It's unbelievable to think about that this was 15 years ago. It certainly doesn't feel like it. But stay tuned next week. Tell a friend, or kick in an old school, Royal Rumble 1990 next week. I'm looking forward to this one, Bruce. We've uh, we've never covered this one. We've got the Bushwhackers on one side, the Fabulous Rougeaux on the other. Beefcake and the genius and a double DQ, Ronnie Garvin and Greg Valentine in a submission match that goes nearly 17 minutes. That's real. Jim Duggan and the big boss man and singles action. And then of course the big Royal Rumble, of course, Hogan must pose spoiler pal, but the big face off moment between uh, the ultimate warrior and Hulk Hogan. And by the way, Tony Schiavone's on the call. This is a fun and very memorable show. I'm looking forward to next week already. Who wouldn't be, I mean, it, it could
0: only be topped by 1989 and big John stud winning the inaugural Royal Rumble on pay per view from the summit in Houston, Texas. So, I mean, good God, what more could you ask for? You want to just go ahead and do that now? No, we're
1: going to have something to look forward to next week. Royal rumble, 1990 stay tuned. Uh, uh by the way. You said the inaugural Royal Rumble, but that was 88,
0: wasn't it? 88 was inaugural Royal Rumble on on television. And then the inaugural Royal Rumble on pay per Per view View. was 1989. Big John stud. The first one on TV was on the USA network with hacksaw Jim Duggan taking all of the glory out of Hamilton, Ontario, Canada.
1: By the way, uh the following week on tap, another Royal Rumble. We're getting you in the mood for Rumble season. It'll be Royal Rumble nineteen ninety-five. Ninety-five, I was not even watching uh at the time, but of course I've gone back and watched everything. Are you alive then? I was barely. Okay. But I gotta tell you, this is uh the era where we get a lot of feedback. Uh two weeks from today, you'll hear Jeff Jarrett and Razor Ramon, Undertaker and IRS, Diesel and Bret Hart for the world title. The one-two-three kid and Bob Holly are trying to uh, win the tag titles at the end of uh, a match with Bam Bam Bigelow and Tatanka, and then famously Shawn Michaels and the British Bulldog are the last two men in the Royal Rumble. We've we've talked around this, but to go into a deep dive, I think that'll be uh, one of our most anticipated shows. But the show that put us on the map is our last show of January 2020, The Radicals revisited. And don't forget Sherry Martell coming your way on February seventh. Lots of fun stuff coming up. Hit the subscribe button, not just here but on YouTube as well, and uh, tell a friend all about the show here. You know, anywhere you know we,
0: You know what we need to do though, Conrad? What's that? We, we need to go back and and probably do another
1: in depth on
0: Dusty. I'm for it. That was the first show that we ever did. Yep. And that was just two guys sitting there with a couple of microphones bullshitting about the American dream, duck the road, fucked up like a monkey, if you will, baby. And, and a few good stories out of there. But we didn't, that was, that was not an in-depth dive either.
1: No, it was not. Lots of the early stuff, you know, I should say lots. The first several episodes were just me and you sitting down, clicking record. I'm sure we'll revisit them. We're going to start with the radicals because that's around the 15 year Oh my gosh. The 20 year anniversary of when that jump happened. Man, where's the time? Go? God, I'm it, not that old, am I? You are, but you know what? You don't have to be old to know that you're ready to take your dick game to the next level. Uh, guys remember the days when you were always ready to go. I do. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. This episode is sponsored by blue chew. That's blue You know, blue, like the color blue. You see, Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you could benefit from more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. By the way, Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. They're made in the USA. And since blue Chew prepares and ships direct. They're cheaper than a pharmacy. And best of all, there's no more awkwardness. And right now I've got a special deal for our listeners. Go to bluechew.com and get your first shipment for free. When you use our promo code wrestle, just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B O U E C H E W.com. The promo code is wrestle. And you get to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast and Bruce's penis.
0: Uh, you gotta love that. And that promo code again is wrestle. W R E S T L E, not wrestling. Wrestle.
1: Yeah, so not not the old uh, the old song. You want you want to give us a rendition of that?
0: R E S S L I N. That's wrestling. But use promo code wrestle.
1: There you go. All right, let's, let's get into it. New year's revolution, 2005 going down January 9th. Oh five in Puerto Rico, San Juan. In fact, the first pay-per-view I think you guys ever held in Puerto Rico. Uh, before For good reason too, Conrad. Well, I'm just saying it's, it feels like we've always heard this as a wrestling hotbed. And you know, there's such a phenomenal territory and did big business. And the Island was wrestling obsessed and blah, blah, blah. Why did it take so long to run a pay-per-view in Puerto Rico? And why did you say for good reason?
0: Well, for all the shit you just said, it's an Island. So you don't really have access. You've got a ship rings over all the equipment, uh, everything that you would have at your beck and call in the United States is, is on 18 wheelers and they're readily available. You don't have all of that on an Island. So it was, you didn't have all your usual resources and, and just the, the sheer fact of trying to get everything there, including personnel. The, the good thing about it is that Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory, so you didn't have to deal with passports and things of that nature. But there's no place like home. <laughs> and beautiful island, it, yes, it was a hotbed. Puerto Rico, man, for years was a place To go make some really good money because the fan base on the island supported wrestling. They loved their wrestling, the wilder, the better, but it just wasn't as feasible to try and go do a television or a pay-per-view there.
1: All right. I know you're going to say this is crazy, but hear me out. I've heard a lot from old timers that the fans in Puerto Rico were some of the last to stop believing. If you know what I mean, that's true. Yeah, why do you think I that would is? say so? Well,
0: I I think that look here's the thing: if you want to believe, it's there to believe. Sure, and there. I recently had, had the, um, and we're not going to mention names, but I recently had the opportunity to go behind the scenes with one of the world's greatest illusionists. Well, probably is the world's (laughs) greatest illusionist. So you know who it is now. Well,
1: no, I'm just saying it was on social media this week. People have figured it out. But here's the thing. I didn't want to know. Right. I didn't want to know how, how it was
0: done. I, I absolutely did not want to know. And he respected that. And, and I just I want to enjoy the show. I know that you're not really chopping a woman in half. But I'd love to watch it to either try and figure out how it's done or just get lost in the illusion of it all and go, fuck, man, that was good. Yeah, it's, and I think that the simplicity of that for all of everyone that's a fan just sit. You don't have to sit there and fucking overanalyze everything. Go, oh well, that's that. That was four stars if it was held in a fucking arena in a goddamn island in Timbuk fucking too. No, just enjoy the shit and enjoy it for what it is. It's entertainment, good, bad, or indifferent. Have fun. So yes, I think that the. Uh, the fans of Puerto Rico, they enjoyed their wrestling. They just wanted to sit back and get lost and have fun in it. They didn't want to analyze it.
1: I mean, I can't argue it. You know, wrestling was certainly more fun for me, you know, back then. And I mean, I'm having fun now, of course, but in a different way. And it's, you know, some of the magic is definitely lost. You know, I was well,
0: just going to say wrestling was more fun to you. Met me. Right.
1: Kinda. Yeah. Um, but know, yeah, it's one of those, be careful what you wish for, you know, like the old, uh, the old Brewster's million scene where the old man says he got caught smoking and his dad or his mom or whoever, uh, made him smoke like a whole carton of cigarettes before he could leave the closet. And then of course he never smoked again. So it's sort of the same thing. That's what I've done with wrestling. Like, oh, this will be fun. And now it's like, oh shit, there's a lot of this. I'm doing a, I'm doing a lot of wrestling stuff. That's your fault.
0: It is it usually, you know, most things are my fault. Yeah. If there's fault to be had it's Bruce's fault.
1: Yeah. Um, I agree with, I'm, I'm sure other people we know would share that same sentiment. Hey, I don't know that you're going to talk about it, but when you and I were over in the UK 18 months ago, uh, was it 18 months ago? It was close. It was over a year. You blew my mind like 13 months ago. Okay. Whatever it was, you blew my mind by sort of spoiling a secret yeah.
0: And not even close. Nope.
1: No, no, I'm not saying that that's a gimmick. I'm just saying, do you think there will ever be a reason for us to tell that story on the show?
0: No, (laughs) no, I can't because I love it because, okay. See, here's the difference between like me and the dirt sheets and people like that. Yes. I I know how some of the, but I, I'm not going to spoil it for people because I love the art of magic and illusion. Right. So I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't spoil it. I I got hot when the when they had the magicians code un, unveiled or whatever.
1: Yeah, on NBC or whatever. Yeah,
0: I mean, keep it now, Granted, they used Marshall Brodine's uh, home magic kit and shit. You know, and tricks that most people knew, but it still pissed me off. And then it pissed me off later when they did the secrets of professional wrestling. They had Harley Race there making signs and shit of all people to, to sell out to that, you know, um, that, that Harley did it, that hurt, but I also understand it. And, but I, I just hate it. So no,
1: well, let's get, I just wanted to ruin your day. (laughs) No, you did. And, And we talked to somebody else on that tour and his mind was blown too. Like that can't be real. And I wish I didn't know now because every time I see that person on TV, I want to tell somebody, but I like you don't want to ruin their fun because, I was up close and personal. I'm like, how is this possible? And then when you tell me it's like, motherfucker. Wish I do? <laughs> so, either way, we're glad that we get to sort of peek behind the curtain here on this show. Let's get back to the New years revolution. This do we is have the- to? Well, here's here's what I want to start with, I guess. Um why why two January pay-per-views? Same month as Royal Rumble, like to me, January, Royal Rumble, that's just hand in hand, man. this feels weird. You know, going back and
0: I had to have my memory jogged frankly, before I did this show. I was trying to think and it was it was an experiment like anything else. There was an opportunity there and let's try it. you know let's do this elimination chamber thing and get out there and see if the market could support it. I just feel it was, it was too much, right? I think it was, you know, it was kind of a force because like you said too man, right off the bat, first of the year, here you are January 9th and you're doing a pay-per-view and you're plugging, you're building to the Royal Rumble. So I think it was a little bit too much too soon at that point. I, you didn't really need it. in My opinion.
1: Well, let's talk about, you know, Puerto Rico for a minute before we move along. Um, I, I guess most people know, you know, the Puerto Rico wrestling scene based on the WWC many, many years ran by Carlos Colon, the father of Carlito, who we've talked about here on the show. Grilla monsoon was also, uh, there in the early stages. Unfortunately, there is a, a stain on the territory for many years now about the Bruiser Brody murder. And I think just a couple of years ago, WWE actually purchased the video library down there sort of catch some of our younger listeners up who may not be familiar with WWC and Carlos Colón and their style of wrestling. Well,
0: Puerto Rico was a destination and Carlos Colón, Victor Jovica, um later on, uh Jose, what was it what the fuck was his name? The guy that uh
1: Gonzalez Invader. Jose
0: Gonzalez, yes, the Invader, the guy that was accused of killing Brody and Gorilla Monsoon. Hang on, hang on, um, hang on, hang on. You said the Q's. You don't think he did it? Well, it he was accused. I think he did it, but, you know, <laughs> I wasn't there. I have no fucking idea. Okay. All right.
1: You, know,
0: you got to use the correct vernacular, otherwise I have fucking the, the hey. do-gooders on me. I understand. Um, Frank was a friend of mine, and I, yeah, so. But, um, so there was Cologne, who was majority owner. There was Jovica, and they they were the majority partners, best of my recollection. Uh Gorilla Monsoon was brought into the fold and, and Gorilla looked for a place to invest. And Gorilla invested in the island along with Victor Quinones. And I don't know how, you know, how all that worked out. And and then uh Jose Gonzalez came in, I think a little bit later. But for all intents and purposes Carlos Colon was the boss. Carlos and, and Victor Jovica were the, were the two main bosses and the two main guys in Puerto Rico. Back in the day and the days of the NWA world heavyweight champion, defending the championship all over the world for NWA promoters, Puerto Rico was a great spot to go because the sh- trips were short. You had a beautiful beach, man. I'm, I'm going to sound like the, uh, Uh, Epico and those guys for the Puerto Rican Visitor Council beautiful fucking island man (laughs) you know it's a great place to go Um, and so guys like to go and hang out on the beach all day and go work at night short trips and you made decent money the fan base was absolutely rabid they loved their heroes and they hated their villains so you had a very passionate fan base that just wanted to see probably more violent blood and guts wrestling than anything. A lot of blood, a lot of barbed wire matches, just gimmick matches. Um, Abdullah, the butcher was big there. Bruiser Brody cologne. I think bled walking to the ring most nights. And it just was a, it was a different environment, but for the Americans that would go in, Guys that would spend time there, Dutch Mantell, for example. Dutch Mantell made a career out of booking Puerto Rico. Dutch would go over there and, and book for a while and uh, ran some great television and, and did some pretty damn big business. Eddie Gilbert booked over there. Unfortunately, that's where Eddie Gilbert passed away. Was in Puerto Rico, but it was—it's like a vacation. You're on the island, you're you're on the beach and good money, good place to go learn. And you're not, you know, you're not, uh, in the thick of things everywhere else. And it was, you could kind of be far enough away yet still connected.
1: Let's, uh, let's touch briefly on, you know, you said running the show here was an experiment. How long was it talked about before it actually pulled the trigger? You know, the rumor and innuendo is that sometimes an idea gets thrown into the machine and it could kick around there on the spin cycle for a year or two or three before it actually comes to fruition. Is that the way you remember Puerto Rico or was this sort of a knee jerk? Hey, here's an opportunity. Let's do it now.
0: You know, for us and at this time in 2005, I was living in Texas. So my time in the office was limited at best. You know, I'd maybe make the office once a month, and the rest of the time was all conference calls and and television. So I wasn't involved in a lot of that. I was just like, hey, where's the next, you know, (laughs) what are we doing? Oh, hey, we have a pay-per-view coming up in Puerto Rico, and it'll be New Year. Okay, great. Let's book it. And I wasn't, thank God, at that time, involved in a lot of that decision-making as to, how many pay-per-views we were gonna run and and where, definitely not involved in the where. So this was at first thinking, hey man, I could go make a weekend out of it, spend a few days in the sun on the beach. But then it became like, oh God, man, we gotta go to Puerto Rico. And then we're going doing television in Florida the day after. And um just uh things aren't as easy when you're trying to do business
1: on an island. No, I get it. I understand you hate islands. You've that very, I much. love islands. Just not doing business on islands around the same time. The rise and fall of ECW was released huge success. Were you sort of taken aback by the success of the DVD? And obviously you guys sort of doubled down on that and follow up with, you know, the rise and fall of WCW. And I mean people were really, really passionate about this program in particular. What made it stand out? I think that people
0: in general, and whether you want to admit it or not, a lot of times they love to see the behind the stories of the fallen. Okay. Um, especially something they, they loved. They love to see things come crashing down sometimes. And ECW was a darling, you know, had a niche audience and it was a darling of the internet in many ways. So it was romanticized. And when it went out of business, I think people, those passionate fan base there were like, Oh my God, you know, it was the greatest thing ever. Um, so there was definitely a feeling like I've, I've talked about before of when people watch reality shows where there, it's an elimination reality show. What are you really watching? You're watching to see who gets eliminated week after week after week. You really only care about the winner and the finale. Right. But leading up to it, it's all about the demise. So as – a society I think people like to read about and they like to see the demise of something. So the, the, the rise and fall of ECW, incredible story. You had a bunch of misfits that produced a television show that had this incredibly loud fan base that loved it. And to that audience, man, it was the end-all be-all but trying to get out of that bubble. And once they got out of that bubble of, of Philadelphia in the Northeast, all of a sudden they realized, well, shit, maybe there aren't that many people that really like it. And you heard about it all fucking all over the world, man. You know, shit, Japan just on brought those guys over for the violence, for the myth that was ECW. And there was an audience out there that was interested in that story. And I don't give a shit who you are. That's a great story. You know, when you look at the the whole thing of Eastern championship wrestling and Eddie Gilbert and Paul Heyman coming in to book and, and to take that over and then Paul taking it all over and changing it from Eastern to extreme and, and just the marketing of it and the way Paul did TV was pure
1: genius you said something a minute ago, I need to circle back to, you said when it comes crashing down and, and, and people want to watch, but I guess my question is when it comes crashing down and this is just a question for you, does it hurt inside?
0: Oh, uh, you know, I don't remember the next line of the
1: song <laughs> <laughs> Yes, let it go. when it comes crashing down and it hurts
0: inside bump, 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 uh, bump. You got to hide something like that. Right? There you go. So Vince McMahon. Yeah. Fucking A, man. I'm a real American. Fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American. Fight for your right. Fight for your life.
1: Dude, new rule. Whenever you get back from vacation, 12 minutes after you walk in, we have to press record. That's a requirement.
0: I'm a good fucking
1: singer, aren't I? Dude, you're, you're on a roll today. Hey, so real Americans. <laughs> I, I don't know when we we'll are <laughs> talk about this. Yes. If I don't talk about it right now, no, you're not going to be excited about this one. Oh shit. Big controversy online that came out yesterday as you're listening to this about whether or not Sergeant Slaughter was really in the military. And I guess I never assumed that he was, but I guess a lot of folks are upset that in some quote unquote real life interviews, he said that he was, and in fact, he was not. I kind of thought it was always common knowledge that he wasn't. Where do you come down on this? Well, I,
0: I don't know what you're talking about, but he's a character.
1: Yeah. Well, I think Slaughter was a character.
0: Bob Remus was a uh, super destroyer and, um, mass superstar Mark four or something. And he was uh, hippie Bob Remus and all this other shit until he finally came up with the gimmick of, of a, uh, dysfunctional drill sergeant out of the Marines. And, And it was all strictly a character.
1: No, I always assumed that, but I guess somewhere along the way he did, uh, some interviews where I mean, he listed his years of service and said he toured through NOM and all that. And I don't know, maybe I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, but it does feel like it was just doing those promos and character either way. A lot of folks are upset because I guess maybe somebody even gave him some award, like some medals, as if he was an actual soldier and that's a party foul.
0: Well, wow, wow. I don't know. No, I've, Bob's it's always been a gimmick to me. So I, I don't know. I don't know that Bob was ever other than the character and like, you know, shit, with GI Joe, GI Joe's obviously a fantasy character.
1: Yeah, all I could think when it came out was, man, if he really was accepting like medals, you know, like war medals, that Cobra Commander dude was right. Sarge was full of shit. Cobra Commander this whole time's had a bad rap.
0: Well, is Cobra Commander a real former Furnam Snape? It's whatever the fuck he's doing, man. Because he could be an alien from like Pokemon or something like that. Yeah, I just blew your fucking mind, didn't
1: I? Yeah, shout out to Eric Rottencrotch. He's he's chasing Pokemon listening to this right now. All right, let's get back to ECW. Vince McMahon, on the heels of the monster success of this ECW DVD, announces there's going to be an ECW pay-per-view on June 5th at the Hammerstein Ballroom. And, uh, it's written by Wade Keller. at this point, nobody seems to know Paul Heyman's long-term status in WWE, including whether or not he'd be part of this proposed pay-per-view at this point, it appears he won't be part of it. Uh, of course we know he is when you first, uh, you know, hear that there is going to be sort of a, a quote unquote, nostalgia ECW pay-per-view. Did you immediately think, well, Hey, we should do a WCW one. And if not, why not? No, I didn't. What the fuck are you going to do with W A? Here, I also had an issue
0: with the ECW pay per view. Um, what What do you do? I, I Who do you bring in? And obviously, it was very successful, and there was a nostalgia thing. And I am one hundred percent on the same page as Rob Van Dam that for to do an ECW purely ECW show, one off, one time, and be done with it great um go do it it'd be a great nostalgia show my biggest fear was god you know cuz once you see them ooh and the guys that were that were not i don't know it, it just it, it's like brawl for all man you are either pregnant or you're not right can't be half pregnant. And that was that was my fear with the whole ECW thing. Do you go down that road? And as far as WCW goes, what did you have to do? A nostalgia show on that. All those guys were that made the jump, or most of them were old WWE guys that that had any name value. And aside from from Hogan and Sting, what what would that be? What would that consist of?
1: Right. I get it. Let's keep it moving here. Uh, and let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the idea of Ricky steamboat as a full-time agent, I say, because it doesn't feel like he had a sustained run with the company behind the scenes and I've never been able to put my finger on why, but I guess it flares up again here. Wade Keller would write. Steamboat signed a contract with the WWF to be a full-time road agent, which means he'll be working closely with wrestlers at events on the content of their matches, especially the finishes. Steamboat, besides working for ring of honor, occasionally this year was a part owner of R and D auto and Marine specialists. He sold his share in that business in order to move on to the WWF besides his wealth of experience from his in-ring career, he will bring with him the perspective of having been involved in both TNA and ring of honor over the past couple of years. No other road agent has the fresh first hand experience of working elsewhere recently. Giving that Ring of Honor is considered state of the art in terms of progressing the in-ring style in this country, Steamboat could bring that perspective with him and it may benefit some of the stagnant wrestling in WWE. The original decision to bring Steamboat in was Laurenidas's call, yet another move by Laurenidas to surround himself with people he hired rather than holdovers from his previous regime. Steve Kern, the previous agent hired before Steamboat, also a Laurinitis hire. I'm fascinated by Ricky getting back in the business. It feels like he sort of played hokey pokey with the business, the WWF in particular, for a long time. What do you remember about him coming back here, and why don't you think it was ever long term?
0: Well, I'll probably get a lot of hate mail for this. So if you want to send your hate tweets, send them to hey, hey, it's Conrad. And, um, here, Ricky Steamboat, probably one of the most beautiful, smooth workers in the business. I could watch Ricky Steamboat matches all day long. I, I think he was effortless in the way that Ricky worked a the match. The, what I think the issue was is that while Ricky could go out and perform, that Ricky couldn't always articulate how and or why he did the things he did. It was just second nature for Steamboat to go out and have a match. Ricky could get inside of a ring and he was at home. Ricky didn't have to think about anything that he did in the ring. It just came naturally. And... Rick Steamboat had a a connection with the audience that he could take them on a ride and bring them on his journey inside the ring so that they felt they were in there with him. However, for Rick to articulate that and, and tell someone else how to do that, I think that's where the breakdown was and maybe why... Rick didn't last as long because you would think it was a natural. You would think one of the greatest workers in the business could easily tell you why. Ray Stevens is another perfect example of that. Ray Stevens, you ask any old timer who was the greatest worker and every one of them would probably tell you Ray Stevens, just natural. Right. Um, just would get in the ring, do exactly what to do and would tear the house down and steal the show in any card he was on all the way up until the time he retired. But Ray, same thing. Ray couldn't tell somebody else how to do that. Right. Ray couldn't explain to him. why. Hey, Ray, why did you do that spot there? I don't know. It felt good right then. It was the right thing to do. Well, okay. Why was it the right thing to do? Hey, man, I just felt it. And I think Rick steamboat was the same way because Ricky was effortless and Rick didn't put... Didn't have to, he did, but he didn't have to put that much thought into what he did because he was just so fucking good at it.
1: Let's, uh, let's keep it moving here because I've always wanted to ask about, um, well, there's a bit of a controversy with Pat Patterson because it doesn't feel like anybody knows, you know, why he really left, but the rumor and innuendo is that he resigned in October And allegedly it's because he was frustrated with triple H's power behind the scenes and Wade would write the story going around was that Patterson felt Hunter had too much power behind the scenes and too much of a push on the air. Hunter, of course, called these reports completely unfounded and, uh, he would continue upon further checking this week, Hunter appears to be speaking the truth. As Patterson himself has since told people that his resignation did not have anything to do with Hunter. Sources now say the reports of tension between them were blown out of proportion. Uh, Patterson had been talking of retiring for a few months before actually doing so, and when he <laughs> made the decision, sources close to him say it was not prompted by anything triple H did. Uh, so I guess there was some maybe disagreements here, or there, uh, between the two and people just sort of play the old telephone, telegram, tell wrestler, and it becomes something bigger than it really is that's complete bullshit.
0: I, I mean, I started to laugh when you said Pat Patterson's retirement. Cause he's still around. Because, <laughs> well, yes, he's still around now. And, and Pat, I think that the, okay, first Pat retired from, uh, being in the ring. Then Pat retired in the office. He got a big screen TV. Then, then he came back and then he retired again, got a second big screen TV. And then he came back and, and I told him the, the second time he came back, said, "Okay, Patterson, this is it. No more big screen TVs for you, motherfucker. You're gonna you're gonna stay a while this time." So Pat had a tendency to, when he would be on the road for a while, he would get tired. He would just get burnt out. And at that at this point in his career, he was single. Um, he was living life. And he couldn't do that being gone as many days a week as it took to be on the road and everything. So he looked at it and just wanted to have more me time. And Pat was fed up with the business at that point. When I say fed up with the business, he was fed up with the travel. He was fed up with, you know, being at the building at 11 o'clock for a production meeting and then having to do the show and then talk about it afterwards. You know, Oh boy, I'm sick of it already. Um, Just, yeah, it was just Pat being tired and Pat wanting to not commit. Now, here's the other funny thing about this is people say Pat retired. Pat didn't fucking retire. Pat just cut back on his schedule. Right. So instead of going to every single TV and every single pay-per-view, it's like, hey, Pat, come on out for the pay-per-views. And make the TV afterwards. And that was a good schedule for a while. Every once in a while, he would want to come out and do something else. So, um, all of that, the Pat retiring, heavy heat with triple H. That's a hundred percent. Just bullshit. That's something that someone made up to try and come up with a story to sell news dirt sheet, fucking subscriptions or something to go, Oh, Hey, here's the real scoop. No, there was nothing there. That was Pat being frustrated and, Wanted to go off and live life and not be tied down every week.
1: Right. Well, let's talk about what else triple H was doing. Uh, he landed a supporting role in the movie blade Trinity, and it drew uh, 6.8 million in its second week. It dropped from second place in week one to fifth place in week two. So two weeks through, it had uh, drawn 35.6 million at the box office. Uh, talk to me a little bit about triple H. In his acting aspirations, it does feel like he popped up in a couple of movies here or there. And then maybe he just decided, ah, that's not for me.
0: Yeah. I don't know that <sighs> I never saw blade Trinity three or whatever the fuck it is.
1: Um, I do want to mention this. It did well,
0: the, yeah, bu- the budget,
1: good. the budget for this thing was 65 million. It made like 130 at the box office. So it was profitable.
0: Yeah. I am just not a big Wesley Snipes fan. So, I, but, but Hunter was, wasn't one of those guys. He would rather be in the ring at this time, this stage of his career. I think he'd rather be in the ring, but at the, at the other end of that spectrum, he had an agent at this time that was telling, I got to get out and do some other things. So he was experimenting, doing some other things. I think he did, he did this later on. He did, um, something with that little girl from modern family he did a few roles here and there, but I don't think that acting was his thing at the time.
1: Uh, let's also talk about, I can't believe this is real, but we've, we've talked about it a little bit in real life. Ric Flair and Mick Foley get into a backstage confrontation and, uh, well, it wasn't awesome. I think it happened here in Huntsville. In fact, but, uh. It's written about that, I guess um, Flair's book had come out. Foley was not happy about it, and Foley tosses Flair's book onto a table and asks him to sign it, supposedly for the purposes of auctioning an offer for charity. And then when Flair realizes that Foley's not being polite in his typical Foley manner or shaking his hand. He throws a punch at Mick Foley. And uh, of course this skirmish is broken up fairly quickly. But then of course they're saying, you know, Hey, let's just lock ourselves in the room and, and first man that comes out, is the better man or whatever. And then they stomp off to the ring. This is a weird deal. Talk to me about what you remember about this.
0: <laughs> I, again, same thing. It's kind of much, much ado about nothing. And. I did not witness it, so I'm only speaking on hearsay from people who were there. It was in catering, and I don't think Mick threw a book at him. I think it was kind of Mick asking Rick to sign something for charity, and then the two you know, started having words from there.
1: By the way, we should yeah. mention in this book, Blair called Foley quote, Nothing more than a glorified stomach. So he's really discounting Foley's contributions to the business. And of course, Foley being who we know him to be has feelings hurt and things went down from there.
0: Yeah. And I can, I can see all of that taking place. I just, you know, the thing was, was that I think someone said that, that Rick tried to punch Foley and then, you know, it didn't amount to much of a fight, other than a, you know, promos back and forth, and, you know, with people in between. You know, it's kind of one of the, you know, hold me back, hold me back. <laughs> um, hey, come on, motherfucker, hold me back. Come on. <laughs> um, and yeah, I wasn't there. That's just what what I had heard at the time that it was blown way the fuck out of proportion, and and again, it was much ado about nothing, and nothing more than two guys promoing each other in the back, uh, over the lunch table, over something, as you said, that was said in a book and the ironic thing of Mick asking Rick to autograph the book that Rick had knocked him in. Apparently.
1: Yeah. I, so, mean, I, I understand how it got that way with both guys, but it's weird to even talk about now because it feels like a hundred years ago and both of these guys have since made up. So, you know, they're thick as thieves now.
0: Yeah, you know, Rick went through those two years where, you know, Rick, Rick and Eric got into into a fight in a locker room and then Mick Foley and, um, Rick 68 years old, doesn't give a fuck. However old he was here then, that's my favorite line. I'm sticking to it.
1: Talk to me a little bit about Paul Heyman's suspension. It comes out that Paul was suspended during this time. And this is right before, right after Vince has greenlit the ECW pay-per-view. He's often played sort of hokey pokey and. Falling in and out of love with, with Vincent man or Stephanie McMahon or whoever. Uh, what was it at this time? Is it just Paul being Paul? I mean, did you guys, I guess my question is sort of like, you know, the old Terry Funk retirement. Oh yeah. He's retired, but we'll see him in three months or whatever. Did you kind of think that's what the deal was with Paul here that. Oh, they'll get over whatever this spat is and we'll be business as usual.
0: Yes. I, and, and it was, and unfortunately I think that. All of us, myself included, you know, we fuck up and make mistakes sometimes, and it happens. We're human. So Paul being Paul and Vince being Vince, I think that it was just a situation of Paul maybe needing to take a time out and go away for a little while, and then we move on. So um, shit happens sometimes. And uh, when you are in the thick of things, the way that we were and are, it's easier for it to happen and to step in shit.
1: Let's talk a little bit about developmental. Johnny ACE is going to make some major changes. I could. <laughs> Jody Hamilton is going to head up a territory based out of Georgia. Oh, Hey, wait, wait, I'm
0: sorry. I got a sidebar for you. And I, I should, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to anyway. Here we go. So the other day. I'm talking to Johnny and I'm trying to imitate someone else. Okay, I'm telling him a story about something, and all of a sudden, I said, like, and then he goes like this. And I look at Johnny and go, oh fuck, I'm doing you right now. This isn't you talking. And we just both started laughing. <laughs> so Johnny is almost like, God damn, pal. Johnny's almost become my my fall, you know, fall into character.
1: Yeah. Could. You uh you went you go through phases because there for a long time when you and I were first hanging out you would slip into dusty a lot and then eventually it became more about corny and then you went through events phase. I'm glad that you're on the Johnny Ace phase now.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah just, but the funniest part is I'm, I'm doing it to him and he just, <laughs> just looking at me and he starts I "Oh fuck, I'm doing you." My bad. So anyway, I'm sorry. We were talking about goddamn uh, uh, del- 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 Yes. Stuff. Yes. That the head right.
1: trainers are going to be Tim Horner and Bill DeMont. Uh, and then of course, uh, Tim Horner, in Georgia. Yes. And the Georgia Devin went
0: church. down Georgia. He's looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he's way behind. He was willing to make a deal. Okay. Good. I got, I know all the words of that one.
1: Lance storm it's written here by Wade Keller, had had been flown to Louisville weekly from his home in Calgary to help with the training quote, although he's not considered an ideal trainer in the eyes of Laurenitis either. Why do you think that would be? Oh
0: boy. Um, I just don't, you know, at the time, I think that Lance in his head probably wanted to continue to work. It was probably, you know, coming right out of that worker mode into a trainer mode. And sometimes guys, still want to work and are finding their way as a trainer. But this was during a time that the developmental system was expanding. And while in the mm, early mid nineties, we had the developmental system was laid out a little bit differently. And we had California had the UPW in California and Hollywood in OVW in Louisville. We had one in Memphis. We also used Les Thatchers out of Cincinnati. Had a guy in Massachusetts, uh, Freddie Sparta's brother, that had a little thing going on up there. So the idea behind that was guys could work in different parts of the country around different audiences so that they could get the feel and get their timing down and learn from different people. At this point, this was where the developmental system was Going from OVW, we were going to open one up in Atlanta, we were going to open one up in Florida, and it was going to expand at that point. This was the initial stages of that, bringing in different people. Now, I don't remember Tim Horner ever being involved in it, but the idea was Jody Hamilton and Bill DeMott were going to be in Atlanta. Steve Kern was going to be in Florida. Uh, we would keep Danny Davis and OVW in Louisville. And then we would, you know, like Louisville would almost be the finishing school for lack of a better term. But it was, it was meant for guys to learn different ways from different trainers and everybody would go, you graduate kind of sort of, or you would just go from territory to territory. You had three different places to go and learn in front of three different, very distinct Audiences that were used to different styles, so um, I thought it was a step in the right direction, and it was, it was just moving towards the overall goal of developing our own talent to eventually come and be a part of the main roster.
1: I'm, I'm, Motherfucker! Thank you for the download, but I want to circle back. Lance had retired from N ring in April of the prior year. And the report is that Laurinaitis didn't see him as an ideal trainer. Do you think that's because Laurinaitis didn't trust that he would not stick to his retirement and he would want to remain a worker or did he prefer a different, maybe more old school style? Well, who said that he didn't, that he didn't think that he was a good trainer. Wait, is that r- rumored innuendo or. Well, I mean, I didn't talk to Johnny.
0: Well, that's what I mean. I mean, that that's probably just dirt sheet shit of of somebody thinking that this is what Johnny thought during the time, because, you know, it was like, John was trying to institute different things in different places. And, you know, one of his sticking points was for OVW that he wanted two rings there. Well, that's the way they do it in Japan. So <laughs> OVW like, well, we don't have a fucking budget to put two rings in here. We'd have to get a bigger place and move. And, and this is set up for this way. So, In those growing pains, I think there were a lot of people that were pointing fingers at different shit that just wasn't there. It was, it was growing pains and it was trying new and different shit. And whenever you try new and different shit, people are going to push back.
1: Let's talk a little bit about OVW. Um, good. (laughs) Uh, it's written. The changes are going to be brewing for them. Of course, they're based out of Louisville, Kentucky. Danny Davis and Jim Cornette have been the main trainers here, but allegedly now the plan is to send Al snow to be a trainer, perhaps head trainer of OVW and it's written snow as well. Regarded <laughs> with you it. said head trainer, head trainer. Come on. <laughs> um, he was even being asked to relocate from, uh, from Ohio to Kentucky to work full time and I guess Lance storm was asked to do that, but turned it down and they didn't want apparently to continue to fly storm in every week. As it was really eroding the developmental budget. And so then there was other talk about, maybe we'll do it in Calgary. Of course we know that doesn't happen. And later this year, 2005, Lance would open his own training school, which he recently closed and is now back with WWE. So everything is cyclical. I suppose it's also written here that there were other discussions about perhaps doing business with NWA Wildside, the bill Barron's promotion in Cornelia, Georgia. Although the report is Vince McMahon was not happy with the proposed facilities, thinking they were too shabby or too small. He just didn't like the, the look and feel of their arena or their TV tapings. Did you ever see anything over at Wildside? Some of our listeners will probably remember those were the, uh, days where AJ styles and Abyss and a lot of talent really cut their teeth there. So it's interesting to see all these years later that it was in the running for perhaps a developmental spot.
0: Well, we did use Bill Barron's for the, the Georgia training facility. And we, we got a new facility, and we got our own facility that we wanted to have our way. I don't know there was ever really consideration. I think that Bill used to run in an old barn or that's, a, right. Uh, that's right, something like that. So that, I don't think that was.
1: Vince ain't going for any,
0: that. Uh, Vince probably never even knew it. I don't think that was Vince's decision at all. That was just something going through probably John that at that point just going, yeah, this isn't going to work. We need to have a building. We need to have showers. We need to have bathrooms. We need to have all of these different things. But we still – we used Bill Barron's to help to get the TV and get TV up and running around the Atlanta area. So it wasn't wasn't anything to do with Bill. It just may have been that facility – Oh, and no! we I always had in the plans that we were going to do our own facilities.
1: Bill bears is an interesting character in wrestling that maybe a lot of our listeners aren't familiar with, but he's been a, uh, a booking agent based out of the South and, you know, ran a home promotion for a lot of up and coming talent. He's a, a staple in Georgia wrestling, as you know,
0: I think in the Georgia independence, yeah. I think Bill has been that mainstay and one of those guys that has always been able to survive through thick and thin, no matter what it was, and has always had his hand in somewhere or something.
1: Let's talk about uh, somebody else who had their hand in something. Marty Wright. Uh, he lied about being 30 years old during the tough enough tryouts and was cut when it was discovered he was 40, but he still got signed by WWE and now he's working with OVW. way killer would say he's said to be the most impressive athlete among all the tough enough contenders. During the tryouts, and he had a great persona. He turned out to be lucky that he didn't have to go through the humiliation of dressing up like a woman and got a head start on training full time in OVW. Even though he's 40, because he doesn't have 10 years of bumps under him, he will have the potential of five to 10 years in the ring if he catches on. And that's why at age 35, Dave Batista is considered a future star, because he doesn't have 15 years of wear and tear on his body that will prevent him from having. Five or ten good years in the ring. Of course, we know that uh, Marty Wright would wind up becoming the boogeyman. Chat me up about the uh, the humble beginnings of Marty Wright and, and how he came to be with the company here.
0: Well, I mean, why, why would he have had to dress up like a woman? I don't understand that one.
1: That was part of the competition with tough enough. You know, they were doing silly skits on TV. Oh, okay, yeah.
0: I don't know. All I remember was Marty being a part of the big cattle call for talent. And when they got in, he said, he was serious. He said, really? Are you only 30 years old. And he, he stuck to it, man. And they had him go and They said, right, where's your license? He said, well, I don't have it here. It's in my car. So okay, great. We'll wait. And everything shut down. And Marty's standing there. And I said, yeah, we'll wait. He left the ring, ran to his car, got his license, came back and gave it to him. I'm like, uh, Marty, you're not 30 years old. I'm <laughs> like, yes, sir. <laughs> you know, but I think that it was almost the just the steadfastness of, my God, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Even though you caught me red-handed, I'm still gonna stand up here, and I will outwork, and I will fucking beat any of these young kids you got here physically. Uh, doesn't matter how old I am. And that's what Marty fought for. And the truth of the matter is, is he was probably in better shape than anybody in that tryout at the time. And still to this day is in probably better shape than, than most of the guys in developmental. I mean, he's, he's a phenomenal athlete and it just, uh, had a hell of a gimmick, man. I'm the boogeyman and I'm coming to get you.
1: Um, by the way, all of the, married, the bell rang, all the married guys listening to this now. The move is deny, 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 come on. Uh, Wade Keller would report. Wait former, a minute. Are you giving advice to our married the, guy fan base? We had a, uh, a mutual friend of ours who recently got jammed up, not adhering to that. And it was just a gentle reminder. Deny, deny, deny.
0: Who? I'll
1: tell you later. Uh, okay, you can't even give me a hint. Nope. Oh shit! Come on. <laughs> uh, former creative team Text member me. Bruce Pritchard is not involved <laughs> in the writing process.
0: What are we doing with our lives?
1: He's been coordinating the production of vignettes and sitting in on agents' meetings. Because he sits in on those meetings, he does have a say in rejecting and proposing storylines. But he does not meet with the writers or script any storylines. Who's this, Bruce Pritchard? Oh, is this? Wait, uh, what was I doing? Sitting at home, collecting a check, showing up and shitting on stuff and then producing vignettes.
0: Not bad. Get it gig. If you can get it,
1: there you go. Let's get to the new, York I was rules. in
0: every fucking goddamn writers meeting. There was, well, you just said you weren't in the office a little while ago. I wasn't in the office. I was on goddamn conference calls all hours of the day and night. Did Vince I was view home that? in Texas. Yes.
1: Does Vince view that differently in that era being on the phone versus being in person?
0: Uh not really as long as you're accessible. As long as you're accessible, it's it's and he's he's mellowed out a lot on that. But yeah. I was always accessible twenty-four hours a day, so and right. and frankly, I was not only on the calls with all the writers, I had the calls after we we finished up with the writers' calls. Then I would get the follow-up call. Okay, what do you really think? Or or you know, um, Let's talk some more about that. So yeah, F- who the fuck said that? Fuck what, Dave Meltzer, Wade Keller, and all of them.
1: Let's get the new year's revolution before the event okay. airs it was on a live shit pay-per-view, shit. the hurricane and Rosie, <laughs> uh, would defeat Lara's Resistance in a dark match and the first match between, uh, Eugene and William Regal, and of course, Christian and Tyson Tomco, uh, for the world tag team championship. It's gonna go sixteen minutes. And uh the report is nothing particularly exciting or bad. It was just they're in first gear. And then Eugene threw a drop kick and injured his knee. He was in excruciating pain, struggled to do a quick roll up on Tomco for the win. He was out of character facially as he was helped out of the ring. Star and a half. The report is the poor guy suffers a ruptured left uh, patella patella, whatever ligament,
0: you it's know, a, the patella, it's a the fucking, patella tendon Furnham's name is connected to the Asha and
1: it fucking broken kneecap. Uh, so he's going to miss like six months of action. Uh, he does make an appearance at WrestleMania 21 a few months after this, but bad, bad finish here. Not anybody's fault. Injuries happen. But in this case, now you've got the belt on an injured guy, not ideal, huh? No, not ideal, and
0: I mean this—the very first thing I, you know, I might as well just tell everybody when we, you pitched all this shit to me and gave me this, and I said, "What the fuck was this show? I didn't even remember it." So I had to go back and talk to some folks and and do a little bit of research here because. Most of the times I could look at a card and I could look at the, the poster look at a few things and bam, it all comes back to me. This one didn't come back to me. Maybe it was just one of those years, but what did come back to me? And the first thing when I called somebody, I said, Hey man, you remember 2005? Yeah. Fuck. Don't you remember Eugene and Lita? First two matches, both left their fucking knees, man. (laughs) We're sitting there looking at each other going, what the fuck are we going to do? Um, Yeah, it was the shits, uh, because you're next, you know, plan B you got to move on, but it was, it was a frustrating, frustrating. First match, frustrating second match, which I know we'll get into now.
1: Oh, Hey, got a question for you. Did you pay your credit card off this month? Did you overdo it during the holidays? Get that statement in and almost open it with one eye nervous to look. Don't get stuck making the minimum payment. Your interest rate on that thing is probably more than 20%. It's going to take you months to pay it off. If you ever do they even put on your statement. Now, if you pay the minimum payment, it could take 64 years to pay this off. Don't do that. You know, you're overpaying. There is a faster, easier, cheaper way to get out of debt. Just like that. It's save with And how's this for starters? No house payments for two months. You won't make a February or a March payment. You're done until April 1st. And come April 1st, you're going to have a better mortgage. We're going to show you how to pay your house off faster and with cheaper monthly payments. I know what you're thinking. Oh, I've looked at a 15 year mortgage before. I can't afford it. You can't afford not to look at it. Really ask yourself this. How many payments do you have left on your house? If you don't know the answer, you haven't done enough planning. I want to help you pay your house off. But the fastest way to do that is to realign your debt, get the greatest tax deduction, get the cheapest interest rate, and then all that monthly savings we have, man, let's attack the mortgage. Let's get out of debt as fast as we can. It's going to make the second half of your life a whole heck of a lot easier. The biggest single bill you have every month is your house payment. Why wouldn't you want to plan to pay that off? Find out how easy it is and let my office give you three or four different money-saving scenarios. If we can't save you some money, we won't waste your time. You don't need perfect credit. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved and you never need money out of your pocket. If we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. And yeah, we're licensed in like 40 states. What are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. And I'm a lesson number 65084, equal housing lender, savewithconrad.com. Yeah. Let's keep it moving. As you alluded to, we're going to have uh lead in the next match, but first we should talk about the backstage promo that we get from edge here, where he says he has an idea. On how he could become world champion. Of course, Jr. and Lawler are wondering what that means. And the next uh, one,
0: Sassafras. I wonder what, the, what, what, what 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 does he mean by that, King?
1: <laughs> Let's get in the uh, the backstory here. The October twenty fifth, Connie? You, you did. I was all lying. of a
0: sudden. You're, you're saying, God, goddamn,
1: goddamn! Is
0: this Wednesday? Or just whatever the fuck day that goddamn shit comes out, you you got confused. Is all I'm saying there, goddamn. So, oh you, fucked up, goddamn. Hook them horns. That's what I like to say. Hook them horns. God bless Texas.
1: We should mention that the uh, Grilling Jr. podcast. Right? No,
0: we shouldn't mention on,
1: that on Thursday. What morning.
0: else did Jr. say? Shoutout, friends.
1: <laughs> the October 25th RAW, Trish would approach Lita backstage and tell her that she had gained weight from her pregnancy. Which of course led Lita to attack Trish. That same night, a match was made for the two at Survivor Series. In that match, Trish would defeat Lita by DQ after uh, Lita hit her with a steel chair. On the November 22nd Raw, Trish would defeat Lita and Molly Holly in a triple threat to retain. And after the match, Lita would attack Trish and cause Trish's nose to bleed and on the December 6th raw, Lita would defeat Trish in the main event to capture the Women's World Championship after performing a moonsault. It's a pretty iconic day uh to have a couple of ladies main event raw never happened before big moment. And now of course we've got a rematch. And that rematch was set up on January 3rd, but it's going to happen here at New Year's Revolution. They go 3 minutes and 47 seconds and Trish becomes the world champion again. Uh, here's the recap. Lita dove on to Trish with a the test press early in the match and landed awkwardly on her left knee. She clutched at it. They tried to work a match, but Lita couldn't continue. So Trish DD he teeter and went for the pin. and Lawler said it might be time for wrestlers to stop the daredevil moves quarter star. She tears her ACL here. You can, uh, they show it a thousand different replays, uh, of her going to the outside, uh, with this thes press and you can just tell she lands awkwardly and. She's in a bad way. Wade Keller would report. Lita was hopeful based on preliminary diagnosis on Sunday night, that she only had a knee sprain that would keep her out of action for a few weeks. Instead, after tests on Monday, it was determined she tore her ACL and will require surgery and missed several months of in-ring action. She told wb.com on Sunday night. It's probably been an hour since my match and it's really starting, starting to tighten up now when I jumped off the rope. I heard it pop, felt it pop. And I knew right away something was wrong. I didn't know if I could stand on it, but I felt, I just felt like I wanted to give it a few seconds before I even tried. And the trainer is hoping that it's just a strained ligament or tendon. They're hoping it's really just stretched and it's something that won't require surgery. Maybe I'll just need to rest, but I'm crossing my fingers. That's what it is. And I'll get an MRI done tomorrow. And of course we find out she's done. So back to back matches and guys leaving on stretchers, not ideal.
0: Puerto Rico is bad for the knees, folks. That's just one little bit of advice. If you're going to Puerto Rico, wear your knee brace. That's advice from Bruce. Even if you're on the beach, you'll have a funny-looking tan, but fuck it, tell them, look, I was in Puerto Rico getting this tan, so everybody knows if you go to Puerto Rico and you hit the beach, you wear your fucking knee brace. That's
1: advice. Here's the other thing worth mentioning. Pro tip. If you're bald and you have a goatee, be careful in parking lots.
0: God damn right, because the motherfuckers are looking to take your happy ass out. They're gonna hit you. I know they are.
1: So I mentioned that.
0: You know any bald headed goatee motherfuckers?
1: Lawler, right after this match, as they're showing scenes in Puerto Rico, he says, All it takes to get a driver's <laughs> license down here is the ability to honk a horn. Uh next up we see Edge and Christian approach the raw GM Eric Bischoff backstage. And edge would propose that Christian take his place in the elimination chamber, um, and he's doing this because the elimination chamber referee, Sean Michaels, isn't giving him a chance of victory. And then he says he could face the winner in a title match on raw. Michael's walks up and tells edge that he'd play it down the middle. Unless of course someone physically provokes him. And from here, it's time for another match this time it's Maven. Talk about a blast from the past. It's going to be wrestling Shelton Benjamin. And, uh, this is the actual report <laughs> from the, from the torch. <laughs> Shelton Benjamin pinned Maven twice to retain the intercontinental twice, all within seconds each time. Maven spent several minutes standing on a chair at ringside, getting heel heat with the crowd. And he got pinned as soon as he entered the ring and then said it didn't count. He asked for it and received a rematch and then got pinned instantly again after a T-bone suplex. Uh, what the fuck were you trying with this?
0: Okay, Conrad, I just like to state for the record. Now you understand why I did drugs sometimes. Sure. Back in the day, just saying, no, man, it was uh, again, nice little, this, this was actually a nice little story and just trying to get Shelton, some personality and also Maven some personality, but it was what it was just and
1: eh. Eh, indeed.
0: It, it was. They, they were kind of colorless, odorless, faceless, and it just uh, in this uh, for whatever reason, man. Sheldon Benjamin is funny motherfucker. A lot of personality. It just sometimes when the red light goes on, it was difficult to get it out of him.
1: I can't believe this is real. Muhammad Hassan with Davari would pin Jerry Lawler with Jim Ross ten minutes and fifty five seconds. And it's written much too long and so slowly paced for the Puerto Rican fans who love everything. They started chanting boring here. Lawler, seen by WWE fans as a retired announcer, got too much offense against the new Hassan. Davari actually had to save Hassan from a pin by putting his leg over the bottom rope to stop a three count in progress. And then Hassan's pin came anticlimactically out of nowhere. It gets a dud. We've talked about Hassan before, but weird placement here, isn't it? Not? Well, goddamn, you got to put King on somewhere.
0: Well, it was. (laughs) You mean weird placement being on the card at all?
1: Yeah, like what? what, what? (laughs) That's
0: that's where I'm going with it.
1: I I just don't understand. You know, I know the hindsight is what it is, but it's pretty weird.
0: It was. It was just a character character development with Hassan, just giving him a win over someone that people are emotionally attached to. And you see King every week on your television and, and puppies. Uh, yeah, real good King. I got a name. Good call right there. Um, that it's somebody that people are emotionally attached to for Hassan to be.
1: Then we got a commercial for the rise and fall of ECW. Uh, and then Todd VC2? Grisham interviews Batista. Randy Orton asks Batista if he is triple H's stooge and Batista tells Orton to worry about himself, not his business with Hunter. And, uh, Batista said, given the opportunity, he's going to try to win the elimination chamber. And then we see a WrestleMania recall from 1996. Of course, we're seeing Shawn Michaels pin Brett Hart here. And next up is Kane versus Snitsky. Some backstory leading to this match. Can't believe oh. this is real. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> On the September 13th draw during a no DQ match between Kane and Snitsky, Snitsky would accidentally push Kane on top of his storyline wife, Lita, who had interfered in the match. And the match came to an immediate end as trainers and EMTs took Lita on a stretcher to an ambulance as she needed medical attention In storyline. Lita is pregnant here. And as a result of this accident, she suffered a miscarriage. This is real. Uh, Kane eventually attacked Snitsky, which led to a weapon of choice match between them at taboo Tuesday it was voted to be a steel chain match. And then of course Snitsky defeated Kane after locking a steel chair around his neck and jumping onto it from the top rope, causing Kane to bleed from the mouth. And in the following week, Snitsky would mock Lita's miscarriage before and during matches using a no babies road sign and a baby, <laughs> baby carriage in a street fight against Eugene. I mean, I'll never forget as he's running around yelling. It's not my fault, punting a baby doll into the crowd, just unbelievable stuff. Of course it comes to a head on December 27th. Raw schedule or Raw's GM schedules this match here for new year's revolution. And they get 11 minutes and 34 seconds. Kane gets the wind. It's written that it's another boring lumbering match. Really not fun to watch. Kane wins with a tombstone. He gives it a dud rating, not the best review. What'd you think? Do I have to? Yes.
0: Okay. First of all, uh, punting the baby was good stuff. It was. Okay. So that, that was good stuff. Um, and I love Glenn Jacobs to death, and Glenn Jacobs still to this day will will like kind of like The Undertaker look at me like, what did I do for you to do some of the things that you did to me? Um putting with Snitsky, this <laughs> this is one of them in this storyline. But it was oh Yeah, it wasn't good. I mean, I don't know what else to say other than it just
1: wasn't good.
0: Doesn't age well, except for kicking the bait. Kicking the baby doll. That was good.
1: Yeah. Kicking the baby got over.
0: Yeah, that was, it's not my fault. That shit was great. That made Snitzky. But other than that, there we are talking about kicking a baby doll yep. just made someone
1: well, and yelling. It's not my fault, which I think you could make your gimmick because you said these days, everything's your fault. So you can just, but it is my fault.
0: It is my fault. How's that
1: next up? I can't wait to see whose fault this was. A clip airs of, of Simon Dean shoving a fat guy in a pool and then the raw divas have a chicken fight in the pool with Val Venus, Hurricane, and Rosie. Uh what now?
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: that happened. Got anything for sure me did. on that?
0: Um That w- that was at the pool, the hotel. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I did not have anything to do with that. Nothing, but yeah, Simon Dean. He didn't, he didn't, he he's he, yeah, I got nothing. Next it up, was fucking horrible.
1: Hunter will confront Batista backstage about his comments with Horton and Batista said he has hunters back unless Hunter is eliminated before he enters the cage, in which case he's going for the gold. Next up is the elimination chamber for the world title. Let's lay the groundwork for you on December 13th, the raw GM Eric Bischoff would schedule an elimination chamber match between triple H edge, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, Batista, and Randy Orton for this show. And on December 27th, all of the matches participants competed in singles matches with the length of their match, determining their entrance order at the elimination chamber match, which I got to say, I kind of like. Any, yeah, it sounds confusing, but it was pretty fucking cool. If any of the participants lost their matches, then the person who beat them would replace them in the Elimination Chamber match. So there's real stakes, and there's two pieces of psychology there. Really well thought out. I assume you're going to take credit for that.
0: Yeah, if it was good, I did it. It was yeah. my fault. There you go. Uh, of yeah. course,
1: all six... No, it was, you know, th- it was really a conglomeration
0: of people just trying to do this in a different way to make to make that mean more. You know, you can put guys in and have them randomly the time that they come out of the pod, or you can have them compete for it, and in competing for it, they could potentially lose. So I think in the back of everyone's mind, they're going, all right, well, this is kind of a cool idea, but they're going to swerve us, and one of these guys is going to get knocked out, which didn't happen. So I just thought it was a clever way, and, and it was probably a conglomeration. No, it wasn't my idea, but yeah, I'll take credit for it.
1: The actual elimination chamber match. Um, talk to us about how this one comes together. I mean, you know, the first one went back to 2002, you know, and then we've rocked it in 03. We took 04 off, and now it's back here in 05. It does feel like, you know, one of those ideas that looks good on paper. And then when you start to think about, wow, they got to fall on that, I don't know if that's the best idea. But you did it for two years and then took a year off. Why did you guys, you know, sort of stop and start with it here?
0: Well, I think that part of it was give it a rest and maybe it just really didn't fit the year before. Then, when you're in this situation, trying to get to the ultimate goal was to get to Batista and Triple H at WrestleMania. So, this is another way to get there before you make that split. And it's it's a good prop to use. So it was it was a nice stipulation to have in there with the elimination chamber, and that was that was the story. You, you throw Sean into the mix as a special guest referee. Everybody had something to to talk about, including you know even Randy Orton and Jericho. And I, you know, it's it's there. Everybody had, everybody kind of had an issue with everybody, and it worked out well in my opinion.
1: Let's keep it moving here. Let's talk about the actual match. Um, we should say that all six of those guys won their matches. Uh, Batista wins his in three minutes and two seconds. Turns out to be the shortest, so as a result, he you know, earns the right to come in last. That's also the same night where Bischoff makes Shawn Michaels the special guest referee on the uh, July or sorry, January third Raw. All six wrestle each other in three separate <laughs> matches. Batista would pin Benoit after a Batista bomb. Edge would pin Jericho. Uh in the final match, of course, is Orton and Triple H. Orton gets a win after an RKO. And um let's get to it. You got six guys in this one. Again, Triple H, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, Randy Orton, Edge, and Batista. Loaded card. They get a lot of time. Thirty-four minutes and fifty-eight seconds. Jericho and Benoit begin. Then Hunter comes in at five minutes, edge at ten, Orton at fifteen, Batista at twenty. Jericho would pin edge after a Michael superkick at nineteen minutes and twenty seconds. Then Batista would pin Benoit at twenty six minutes and fifteen seconds. then Jericho at twenty seven minutes thirty seconds, and then Hunter and Batista would beat on Orton eventually Orton would pin Batista after an RKO but before leaving. He and flair would attack Orton, setting up a pedigree for Hunter four stars. What'd you think of this match and the storyline and the way it was all sort of interweaving evolution into this uh, main event?
0: Well, I loved it because for that reason, everybody had their own little stories and everybody had a story with everybody in the match. There was nice spots in there where Batista was in trouble and triple H. Could have helped him, but he didn't. You know, he, he let, he sat there and he waited and he let Batista get pinned. And um, it just was, there were a lot of subtleties when you go back and, and watch that show that just made sense. And it was very well done. To me, this was a one match show. Right. Th- this match, you could have just had this match and I think people would have been happy with it. Um, because by <laughs> the time you got here, you're going... Holy fuck. Get me out of this thing. Not a lot leading up to it, but I did believe that the elimination, the feature match did save the show and it was worth watching and told the hell of a good story. And it took you to where you wanted to go at WrestleMania.
1: Wayne Keller would write New Year's revolution produces one of the worst pay-per-view undercards ever. If it could go wrong, it did go wrong during the first hundred minutes of WWE's all new January Raw brand pay-per-view New Year's resolution. Revolution rather. The first two matches ended prematurely when Eugene and Lita both suffered serious knee injuries, and the elimination chamber saved New Year's Revolution from joining many late nineties, early two thousand WCW pay-per-views as the worst of all time. A thirty-five minute match saw the predictable but sensible outcome of Triple H retaining Uh, but only due to help from Batista and Ric Flair, chat me up Was any other finish ever considered, or was this always, this is just helping tell the story and get us to WrestleMania.
0: This was to get us to WrestleMania. And it was able to tell the little subtlety stories throughout this match so that you could go back and put more doubt in Batista's head to just people wanted, even here, people wanted Batista to turn so bad. And the longer that you drew it out, the more that it meant. And the more that when he finally did turn, they were like, finally, motherfucker. Um, and, and everyone in the match, in my opinion, I thought that everybody in the match came out like main eventers and everybody looked good. Cause it was all logical.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can't argue that. I mean, it definitely tells the story and we know it's going to set all kinds of records at WrestleMania. So clearly you guys. Did the right thing, uh, Wade would write the symbolism at the end of the show was spot on with Batista raising Hunter on his shoulders and a scene reminiscent of when Batista turned on Orton fans were hoping Batista would drop Hunter backwards off his shoulders, but yet again, they didn't get what they wanted, but by the end of raw, the next night, more steps were taken towards the eventual breakup of Batista and Hunter. Something that due to the strong crowd reactions for Batista had become a matter of when, not if. So at this point, there's no doubt we're going with Hunter and triple H on top. And, and, uh, or you know what I mean? We're going with Hunter and, um, Batista on top. Yes. and Batista is the new face of the company. Was there ever anything else considered for that WrestleMania that you recall? No, because this is, this was where
0: we were going, man. And it was already, it was ready made. It was right in front of you and it made sense. So by this point. We we were going we were going full steam ahead with Triple H and Batista here.
1: Royal Rumble two thousand five. Of course Batista's gonna win, last eliminating John Cena. It's a fifty one minute match, and of course that show happens in Fresno, California on January thirtieth. So just three weeks after this show, there's another pay per view and uh Batista's there at the end. So Batista is on his way to being a made man here. When this show is over where it definitely feels for lack of a better word, snake bit, because you've got this, I don't know, has it ever happened where in back-to-back matches on pay-per-view folks get hurt like this? It's just less than ideal.
0: Yeah. I don't know about starting off the show like that where no, it wasn't ideal, but we've had just shows where guys have gotten snake bit and it's one right after another getting hurt where. You have a line at the doctor's outside of the doctor's room or, you know, shit. We've even had it where we've had to send guys to the hospital and you're having to wait for ambulances to show up, which makes you change your protocol on different things like that. So it's uh, it's happened. Not, you know, they're few and far between. And this was happening on an island. Uh, Didn't help either.
1: Well, I really appreciated looking back at this one because this is when I was sort of winding down some of my wrestling fandom. Uh, But this show had a lot of intrigue for me because it just felt weird, man. If they're, if they're doing two pay-per-views in the same month, like this, I gotta be ready. And, uh, I'm glad it was because this was a good show and especially just for the main event. And I know the undercard sort of is what it is. And some of it in hindsight, you're like, what is that? but man, I was on fire for the Batista triple H storyline. And part of that was because, and this is by design, I hated triple H. Like I was ready for something different and Batista was that. And of course, later this year and present day, Batista taking his rightful place in the hall of fame, you got to be pretty excited about him getting that, that great honor, right?
0: Yeah, I am because you know, Dave was somebody that walked in to my office with Afa and office said, Oh my God, you got to see this guy. He's a monster. And we took him right over to the, uh, training facility over at the production, television production. And Tom was there and stuck him right in the ring with Tom. And, uh, I brought him into the studio and interviewed him that day. And the rest, as I say, is history. So yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty nice to when you have guys from beginning to end uh and see them graduate into the hall of fame class. He's deserving and I'm very happy that it's taking place
1: now. What are you looking forward to uh next week, Royal Rumble 1990? <laughs> yeah. Oh God, this is the
0: build for Hogan and Warrior. Am I right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well they they both so this, have this a look. is the
0: build to WrestleMania 6 and I remember the debate Over what's going to be that spark and what was going to be that moment that those two touch in the rumble and do, you know, how big is it? How small is it? What is it? So that's the one thing that sticks out more than anything in my mind was orchestrating that rumble to protect both guys, but to give you a taste, not too much, not too little And it was just a happy medium. And that was something I feel that we debated for weeks. Do you do a big blow up? Do you have a big pull apart? What, what do you do? And I think that's the biggest thing that I remember. And that was a burden getting into it. It was very simple what we did, but still getting there took a lot of effort and discussion.
1: Well, it's easy for you to get there. Just click that subscribe button. Be sure to check us out on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button there, too. We're going to have some fun stuff coming your way there as well. Leave us a five-star review if you think we've earned it. Be sure to check out bluechew.com. Use our promo code WRESTLE. They're going to get your cock real, real hard for just $5 shipping. You get the actual uh, chewable for free. So check it out, bluechew.com. Use that promo code WRESTLE. And if you're ready to save some money or get in a new house, get out of that apartment, maybe do a little remodeling, get rid of some credit card debt. Whatever you're looking for, we make life a little easier at savewithconrad.com. We're licensed in more than 40 states. You don't need perfect credit, so why wouldn't you do that? Savewithconrad.com, NMLS number 65084. He is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. We'll see you next week here for Royal Rumble 1990, right here on Something to Wrestle with, Bruce Pritchard.
0: And I'm not saying Shaka Khan anymore, man. We're just gonna rent the Pachovia because Pacho is over.
1: Nah, we need a new one. You know, I do have a question. Since you're in such a good mood, see, what did you do all week this week? How'd you spend your days? Well, I'll tell you, Conrad. I
0: like to spend my days working hard on the go, but the hands on the clock keep spinning too slow. But I can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together.